What's up? It is I, Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a great day. I've got a great show planned for you today. I'm going to give you my top five most important free agents of the summer for the NBA. And look, college football, it's a little over two months away. I can't wait anymore. I'm giving you my rough draft of how I think the SEC is going to shape out this year. I'll be giving you the rest of the Power Five conferences in the coming weeks. Cannot wait to do it. But first, Double B, Bruce Buffer. Thank you, Bruce. Let's get into it. The five most important free agents of the summer for the NBA. I just, I've been getting notifications from Woj, you know, for like the past 24 hours on players opting in and opting out of, you know, their deals, their player options. Man, I just, I love this time of the year. This is peak NBA content. Because let's be honest, you know, the NBA season is usually won during the offseason when you go out and you make these big splashes. Speaking of big splashes, James Harden sits atop my most important free agents of the summer, and here's why. So first of all, today, or yesterday, excuse me, he opted out of the final year of his player option, which where the, you know, the 76ers would have paid him $47 million. That's a lot of money to opt out of. And when I heard this news, my mind immediately went to, he's going to push for the Super Duper Max where he would make $61.7 million in the 2026 to 2027 season when he will be 37 years old. That's where my mind went to. I did not like this for the 76ers. Daryl Morey with his, you know, back between, you know, a rock and a hard place. It's just, it's a tough decision. But then, you know, I was, as I continued to do my research and I was, you know, studying up for this, I saw that there have been reports that James Harden may take the one-year mid-level exception where he would only make $10 million. Now, $10 million, that's still a lot of money. That's not $47 million. That is $37 million extra that the Philadelphia 76ers could use to go get P.J. Tucker, to go get Bobby Portis, to go get some really good role players to kind of fill out that roster, right? Because as of right now, when you look at the, the East, the Bucks have the best roster. The Nets have the best duo. Okay, the Celtics are going to be really good again. Like, if you were the 76ers, you know that you need to add more talent around Embiid, Maxi, Harden, and Tobias Harris. And so, James Harden taking the mid-level exception money and not forcing them into this really, really bad contract is hands down the best thing for them. It's, in my opinion, I think it increases their odds of competing for a championship if they are able to go out and get some of these high-level role players, which... They should be able to do, right? Like, look, if, if I'm a role player and I'm trying to win a championship and I can't go play for Milwaukee, Boston, or Golden State or somewhere like that, and the, and the 76ers call me and they say, hey, do you want to come play with arguably the most dominant force in the NBA right now in Joel Embiid, a really good playmaker in James Harden and an up-and-coming player in Tyrese Maxey? Um, yes, I would love to go play with those guys. You know how easy shots, I'm, you know how many easy shots I'm going to get if I'm a role player playing with those guys? A ton. Because all three of them are willing passers. I mean, I'm really excited for what the 76ers are going to be able to do now if the reports are true and if James Harden winds up taking that mid-level exception. If the reports are not true and he does want that super-duper max, then 
it's going to be really tough sledding for the 76ers, not only this next year, but for the next several years going forward. Moving on to number two, the second most important free agent of the summer. I have DeAndre Ayton. Okay, it's looking more and more like the Suns are going to let him walk, which is still just unbelievable. A 23-year-old center who's really good, former number one overall pick. Okay, he's one of the few game-changing centers in a league where centers don't change the game the game anymore, right? You know, his ability to defend and stay on the floor when other teams go small, right? Like, that's the big knock against Rudy Gobert. He can't stay on the floor when other teams go small. Aiton can. Like, that is a huge asset to have, okay? He needs to, de- to develop a little bit more offensively. I know people were frustrated with his lack of offensive output in that Western Conference final series. But go back and watch the games. They didn't give him the ball. Like, okay, it was the Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker show. And then all of a sudden in game seven, people want to be like, oh, well, you know, DeAndre Ayton should be scoring all these points because the Mavericks keep going small. Well, guess what? He can't score points because they're not giving him the basketball. And look, when you're as good a player and as talented as DeAndre Ayton is, and, you know, a guy who's averaged over 20 points per game in a season before, a guy who knows that he can put the ball in the bucket, like, you just, like, if, at some point you get tired of being told to just go play defense and we're not going to give you the ball on offense. I don't blame DeAndre Ayton for being upset and wanting to leave. I, I don't blame him at all. Also, don't blame him for wanting the max because he's a max contract guy. Like, 23 years old, extremely good. I would love to see him end up in Detroit. I think that'd be a really fun young core. Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, DeAndre Ayton. That is, those are three really talented players that, that you could build around. That would be so much fun. DeAndre Ayton coming in at number two on my most important free agents list. Number three, I have Zach Levine. He's the best scorer in this free agent class. Uh, I don't know where he's going to end up either, which kind of makes this a little bit more fun. I like if I had to guess, I'm assuming he's going to stay in Chicago. Um, you know, run it back, ho- hope for better health, right? I mean, it's a really easy pitch to make. Like, hey, Zach, we were really good, and then you got hurt, and Lonzo got hurt, and Patrick Williams got hurt, and so on and so forth. You know, uh, Caruso got hurt. They were really good before. You know, they had all these injuries. I'd love to see him stay in Chicago because, you know, when Chicago's good at basketball, it just makes the NBA more fun. Um, like I said, they were really good before he got hurt. I I would love to see him stay in Chicago. You know, there's there was talk of him being a Laker. That's not going to happen. The Lakers don't have any money, which is just so funny. But, yeah, so Zach Levine at number three, like I said, the best scorer in this free agent class. Number four, Bradley Beal, who opted out of the final year of his contract. He's he's an interesting one, okay? He peaked a few years ago when he was scoring 30 nightly. But despite being a bucket in that one season, like outside of that, you know, he's a 22 to 25-point scorer, you know, night in, night out kind of guy. So he's not really a number one. And I don't really I really don't even know if he's one of the best number twos in the league, right? Like there's a few guys just off the top of my head that I know I would take over him. Jalen Brown, C.J. McCollum, Chris Middleton, Paul George. Those are just a few. But, man, if look, if I'm the Wizards, I would look for a sign-in trade. Okay, like, he's good enough that if he plays, you won't have a chance at the number one overall pick. Okay, and if you're the Washington Wizards, you're at a point in your franchise's history where you need to tank, right? Like, you don't have any legit stars to build around for the next six or seven years like a lot of other teams do. And, look, if you're not good, you at least want to be able to give your fans hope. And I just don't know how much hope you're giving your fans if you sign Bradley Beal to a whole bunch of money, once again having one of the worst contracts in basketball on your roster, right? Like a few years ago, they had Westbrook, which was the worst contract in basketball. Before that, they had the John Wall contract. 
which was the worst contract in basketball until the Rockets just bought him out. And if they sign Beal to this ginormous extension, then once again, they will have the worst contract in basketball on their team. And look, like if you're a Wizards fan, you just, you get tired of it at some point, right? Like I said, if you can't, you know, give your fans, you know, playoff appearances and championships, at least give them hope in a future, right? Right? Like, you know, like Oklahoma City Thunder fans, they're riding on hope right now. It's like, look, we may not win 30 games next year, but we've got a really good young player in Chet Holmgren. We've got a really good point guard in SGA, right? You know, we just brought in four lottery guys, right? We've got so many more picks and so on and so forth that Oklahoma City Thunder fans still have hope. Like, if you're a Washington Wizards fan, I just feel sorry for you. I feel terrible for you. You know, hopefully they make the right decision. They don't re-sign Beal, or if they do, they don't sign him to that huge max extension just because... You know, if, if they let Beal walk, they'll have a legit shot at the number one overall pick. You know, just a chance to give your fans some hope. And then rounding out my list here, number five, I have Jalen Brunson, who has surprisingly been the most talked about free agent so far. Okay, like I get that the Knicks want him, and anytime the Knicks want anybody, it, it grabs headlines. But I, what I don't understand is why the Knicks want him so badly. Like they've cleared out enough money to offer him almost a max contract which is just insane to me, right? Like, I, I love Jalen Brunson as a Dallas Mavericks fan. You know, love what he did in the playoffs this year. But at the end of the day, he's just a good player. Like, that's all he is. He doesn't really move the needle a ton. Okay, like, if he stays in Dallas, you know, it's, it's going to be exciting. And you're like, yeah, like, Dallas could go back to the Western Conference Finals. But if he leaves Dallas, I, I, they could still go back to the Western Conference Finals. I just I don't think he does that much for them. And it's the same thing, right? Like, if he goes to New York and he plays for the Knicks— the Knicks are going to suck. And if he doesn't go to New York and he doesn't play for the Knicks, the Knicks are still going to suck. Like, he's he's not a legit needle mover. He's not a guy that you clear a whole bunch of cap space for like the Knicks have done. And what's crazy to me is there's guys like Donovan Mitchell who are available and Zach Levine who is available and so on and so forth. Like, there's stars available that you can go get via trade. Like, like if, if I was the Knicks, I think I'd rather go sign Aiton before I want to sign Jalen Brunson. And I just, it's just, it's it's the Knicks. And it's just so sad because they're just not, they're just not what they were, you know. And much like Chicago, when the New York Knicks are good at basketball, the NBA season is way more fun. Now, I, I want to mention one more guy that nobody is talking about that is a free agent. And he's got some importance here. Not, not, not quite enough to break the top five. But an honorable mention here, I have Carmelo Anthony, who is by no means you know, the sixth best free agent. But to me, he's one of the most important. And you're probably wondering why, Jonathan. Like, why so much interest in Carmelo Anthony and figuring out where he goes? He's way past his prime. He's labeled a 3 and D player without the D. So all he does is shoot corner threes. But here's, here's why I'm interested to see where Carmelo Anthony goes. It's simply because, you know, Carmelo Anthony is in the point of his career where it's all about winning a title, right? Like, that's the one thing on his resume that he does not have. Right, you know, he's got scoring titles and he scored he's the top ten scorer all time. I believe he's sitting at number ten right now. Just an absolute bucket, you know, one of the best scorers we've ever seen play basketball. And like I said, he doesn't have that championship yet. And so he's gonna go to a team where he that will allow him to win a championship. Right. And so he's gonna tell us a lot about the Lakers. Cause like if he stays in LA, that means there's a part of him that's like LeBron James. Anthony Davis, they have a plan to move off the Westbrook contract. I trust the plan. We have a shot to win a title. Or he's going to leave, 
which is going to be an absolute red flag. It's going to be a sign saying, hey, nothing over here is any good, which that's kind of what it looks like right now. Nothing over here is any good. They don't have a plan. They're not going to be able to get rid of Russell Westbrook. There's no way that this L.A. Lakers team is going to win a title. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go to Boston, or I'm going to go to Milwaukee, or you know, pick your place that has a chance to win a title. I'm going to go to Philadelphia. I'm going to go to Golden State. You know, just whatever, right? Pick, pick your spot. For that reason, I'm very interested to see where Carmelo Anthony ends up. So that's it for my top five most important free agents of the summer for the NBA. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, SEC football, cannot wait to talk about it, giving you my SEC East and SEC West standings, predictions. This is a rough draft. We'll probably re- revisit here, you know, kind of right before the season starts, but I cannot wait to do this. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back talking college football. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. About to give you my SEC standings, predictions for the upcoming season. This is just the rough draft. We'll probably revisit, revisit this year at some point. Starting with the SEC West, look, let's just be honest. I, I think everybody has Alabama winning the SEC West, as they should. They're going to go 8-0. Look, the revenge tour is coming. Okay, Alabama's going to run through everybody like some bad Mexican food. Okay, like, I fully expect them just to wipe the floor with everybody they play up until they play Georgia in the SEC championship. Yes, I know. Major shocker, I have Georgia winning the East. So, yeah, Alabama, 8-0. I think they handle everybody that they play until they play Georgia. Number two, second in the SEC West, I've got Arkansas going 7-1, only loss coming to Alabama. Look, anytime you have a quarterback returning, I immediately like your chances to win a lot of football games. Okay, like let's look at the other teams in the West who have a returning quarterback who started every game last year. There's only three. Arkansas with K.J. Jefferson, Alabama with Bryce Young, and Rodgers with Mississippi State. Arkansas also returns their two most important defenders in Bumper Pool, who's going to lead the linebackers, a unit last year that played extremely well. And then Jalen Catalan returns, one of the best safeties in the country, was a freshman All-American a couple years ago, was a preseason All-American last year. They they recruited the portal well. Both coordinators returned despite getting head coaching job offers. Watch out for Arkansas. They could have a really, really big year this year. Coming in third, I have Texas A&M going 6-2, with losses going to Arkansas and Alabama. Haynes King is probably going to be the starter for Texas A&M this year. He was the starter for them last year. He's the one who got hurt really early in the season. You know, before then, like he, he looked good. Like The moment didn't look too, too big for him. He was a redshirt freshman last year, redshirt sophomore this year. Like I said, he looked good in those four early games. A&M continues to recruit like crazy. I mean, they have just so much talent on both sides of the ball. They open with Arkansas in SEC play, though. And I think that King's lack of experience under center in SEC games is going to cost them, right? Because there's a big difference between playing the University of Colorado and playing the University of Arkansas. There's just there's a huge difference in that. I also think that they'll lose to Alabama on the road, and then they'll just out-talent everybody else. Uh, in fourth, I've got Ole Miss going 5-3. and three. They have just the best draw on the SEC in the SEC West in terms of schedule. Right, So obviously they're going to play everybody else in the West. They also get to play Vanderbilt out of the East, which is just, you know, that's a cakewalk. So they play Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Auburn, and LSU. 
to start their SEC play. I think they'll go four and zero, but I think at worst they start three and one. But it'll it just kind of gets really tough after that. They go one and three down the stretch. They've got Arkansas, Alabama, and A and M. All three of them within a four week span. And look, when you're Ole Miss and you play against the lower to mid level teams of the SEC, right? The LSU's, the Auburn's, the Kentucky's. All you really need is one stop. And from there, you know, I trust Lane Kiffin to get me plenty of points to win the game. But when you play the better teams in the conference, you need to be able to consistently get stops. And I just don't think that their defense is going to have enough juice to get those stops against Arkansas, A&M, and Alabama. I do like their chances to beat everybody else, though. In fifth, I've got Auburn. I've got them going three and five. I just I don't like what they have coming back this year at the quarterback position. TJ Finley looks like he's going to be the starter. And, you know, he wasn't great last year. You know, sure, he was better than Bo Nix, but it's not really saying much, okay? He only completed 50, 57% of his passes. That's really, really bad. You know, I don't think there's really any way they beat Arkansas, A&M, Georgia, or Alabama. I mean, that's four losses right there off the bat. Their game against Ole Miss could could be interesting because Auburn just kind of has a way of sticking around no matter who they play. But uh, I, I think they lose, though, just because it's on the road. You know, going on the road and winning in the SEC, is, it's just it's such a tough thing to do. They should handle Missouri and Mississippi State. And then the LSU game, you know, it's, it's a coin toss just because it's, you know, both teams I think are really similar. They're really similar p- programs right now with new young coaches and just a lot of uncertainty at the quarterback position. But, you know, Finley, you know, he's got, you know, the, the several snaps in SEC play from last year. So I think just that experience carrying over should help them beat teams like LSU who are just going to be a little bit younger than they are. Speaking of LSU, I have them coming in sixth in the Western Conference. Um, I, I think they go three and five. Brian Kelly inherited just a really tough roster. Coach O didn't recruit great, but Miles Brennan is healthy again. So there's hope at the quarterback position. But I just don't see a lot of hope elsewhere. You know, the schedule's absolutely brutal. They get every SEC West team, plus Florida and Tennessee. Tennessee's going to be really good this year. That's just a really tough draw in year one under a new coach with a quarterback that hasn't played in over a year. I will say I do think Brian Kelly is a good coach, despite what everybody else tells you. Uh, I I think he'll find a way to win a couple games that they probably shouldn't. So I I think they'll land there at 3-5. and And then in seventh, I have Mississippi State going 1-7. and Look, Will Rogers returning is exciting and like it gives them some hope. But I just I just don't trust the air raid in the SEC. Like I know they went four and four last year, but they won some games that they shouldn't have. They also lost games that they shouldn't have. And I guess that's just kind of how the air raid goes. You know, the athletes on defense just aren't what they were last year for Mississippi State. On top of that, when you play the air raid in the SEC, you're playing against a different level of athlete compared to to the athletes that Mike Leach was seeing in the Pac-12, right? Like the Air Raid, it's an offense that was meant for the Pac-12, not the SEC. I think that finally kind of happens this year. I don't think that they get away winning a few games that, that they shouldn't. So I like Mississippi State to bring up the rear in the SEC West. One more time, Alabama wins the SEC West at 8-0. Arkansas in second at 7-1. A&M in third at 6-2. Ole Miss in fourth at 5-3. and Auburn in fifth at 3-5. and LSU is sixth at 3-5. and and Mississippi State at 1-7. and seven. Moving on to the SEC East, which is way more interesting, by the way. Like, the SEC West kind of writes its own story. It's not too, too hard. Things just kind of flow and make sense. The SEC East, though, that is not the case. So I already told you 
I have Georgia winning the SEC East. They are clearly the best team. Stetson Bennett's back to play quarterback. Kirby Smart continues to be an absolute menace on these recruiting trails. Just he's re- he's recruited at just an absolutely insane level. You know, Georgia is, is just a machine now, right? That turns out nothing but blazing fast defenses and unstoppable run games. Good luck beating them if you see them. I'm going to start at the bottom here. Vanderbilt brings up the rear. 0-8. It's Vanderbilt. Don't have to say much more. I have Missouri going 1-7. They just have a really tough schedule. Seems like all their winnable games are on the road. Like, they get Auburn on the road, Florida on the road, South Carolina and Tennessee all on the road, which means that home games, which are supposed to be easier games to win, they have to play the teams minus Vanderbilt that they just don't stand a chance to beat. Like, I don't see how they beat Kentucky. I don't see a world where they beat Arkansas or Georgia at home. They did recruit well this last year, but it's it's a lot of freshmen, and I just don't trust freshmen in the SEC unless they're playing for Nick Saban. Okay, uh, Connor Bazelak, their starting quarterback last year, he's not there anymore, which means they're starting a new quarterback as well. I just I think they're really going to struggle due to their youth. In fifth, I've got Florida going three and five, and Florida was the hardest team for me to place. I just I don't really know what to expect. From, from Billy Napier. It's his first year in the SEC. I think he's a really good coach, but there's not a lot of talent there at Florida. I But with that being said, he also has the most talented, not the best, the most talented quarterback in the SEC with Anthony Richardson. I think they'll struggle early, though, with the new head coach and there's still a young quarterback. You know, Richardson only threw the ball 64 times last year. He still has to grow. So I, I think they start 0-2. They open up conference play with Kentucky and Tennessee. But they'll beat Missouri and LSU. Both those games are at home. And then, you know, we'll kind of be like, oh, Billy Napier, he's got it going here. Like, here we go. Florida, they're back. And then they have to play Georgia, A&M, and South Carolina. I think those are three straight losses for them. In fourth, I've got Kentucky going 4-4. Four and four. And this is where it gets interesting, right? So Kentucky, Tennessee, and South Carolina, I think, are locks to go 2-3-4. and four. I just I don't see a scenario where Florida or Missouri kind of jump into that two to four area. So I've got Kentucky going four and four. Will Levis is back, but I just I think there's a lot of there's a huge lack of talent on the outside for Kentucky. You know, Wendell Robinson, their best receiver from last year, he left. You know, Kentucky recruited well, but like I said, with Missouri, young talent kind of makes me nervous. With that being said, though, like they should handle all the lower tier SEC teams. They should beat Florida. They should beat Mississippi State. They should beat Missouri. They're, they're going to beat Vanderbilt. I think they lose a close one to South Carolina, though. It's their first real test of the season. And then they fall to teams that I think are clearly better than them. Georgia, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. Which means second place in the SEC East could potentially be decided on November 19th between South Carolina and Tennessee. I have South Carolina winning that game. I think South Carolina finishes in second in the SEC East at five and three. I think I think Tennessee finishes third at five and three. Let's start with Tennessee here. So Hendon Hooker returns to play quarterback for Tennessee. It's another year under Hypool, aka the hype train. They're gonna score a lot of points, right? Like this is, you know, the old miss of the East, right? They're gonna put up a lot of points. But the defense is my concern. Okay, they gave up more points in SEC play last year than anyone not named Missouri or Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, they added a few defensive pieces via the transfer portal. I just, I don't think it's really going to be enough. You know, they added, you know, a safety, a corner, and I think a linebacker who are all, you know, three-star guys, no real needle movers there. So I just, 
I, I think that the defense is a year away for Tennessee before they make the jump that everyone kind of expects for them to make this year. I think a lot of people have them finishing second, but I think the defense is just a little bit behind, and so they finish third because of that. In second, I have South Carolina. And you know, I think every year in the SEC, there's a team who makes a jump. Last year, it was Arkansas. Uh, I think it's going to be South Carolina this year. And look, South Carolina made the biggest splash of the transfer portal season, adding Sp- Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler goes back to his guy, Shane Beamer, two guys that know each other well. Beamer coached him for two years at Oklahoma. He knows what Rattler likes to do. He knows what he doesn't like to do. And I think, you know, Spencer Rattler makes a huge leap this year under uh, under Beamer. And that's why South Carolina finishes second in the East. There's, like, there's a legit scenario that people aren't talking about where South Carolina has the best quarterback in the SEC East. Okay, like there's a legit scenario where South Carolina has the second best quarterback in the SEC period. Okay, like people forget what kind of prospect Rattler was coming out of high school. The number one ranked quarterback in the country, a five-star. You know, I know he had his struggles at Oklahoma, but look, he's another year older. Sometimes a change in scenery is what you need. Okay, and look, besides Rattler, just like throw him out the window. The South Carolina had the ninth highest rated transfer rating in the country according to 24-7 sports. That's the fourth highest in the ACC. So not only have they added a huge upgrade, a huge upgrade underneath, un, under center, right? Like you're going from, you know, a guy last year who was the GA. Like they had a GA playing quarterback for them last year. And now you're bringing in a five-star, uber-talented guy. If you can just get him going in the right direction, South Carolina is going to put up a lot of points. And that's really kind of what they struggled to do last year. You know, they only scored 169 points in SEC play. That's it's not great. You know, I'm, I'm not very good at math, but no, that's not very good. So I, I really like where the South Carolina team's headed. The defense should be better this year. I have a lot of faith in what Beamer and Rattler are going to do with this offense. That's why I've got them finishing second. Still, though, I have them going five and three. You know, they're not beating Georgia. They've got other, they have a couple other really tough games in there. So that is my... You know, SEC standings, rough draft on the season. Alabama and Georgia seeing each other in the SEC championship game. Nothing new there. South Carolina with a big jump. And I think Arkansas c- continues their rise. A&M, you know, continues, you know, to do what they do. Same thing with Ole Miss. So on and so forth. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's pod. I'll be back again on Tuesday with another take for you.